You're listening to DraftKings Network. Folks, Mother's Day is around the corner, and let me talk to you about 1-800-Flowers. I can't wait. Every year, it's a tradition. I send stuff to my mother, my mother-in-law, and my wife because they are three amazing moms. They're better than all your moms out there. You think you have good moms? No, I have good moms in my life. I'm just kidding. This was a little harsh. I'm sure you guys all have good moms too. From your mom to the mother of your children and all the moms in between, this Mother's Day, give back to the ones that have given you everything. 1-800-Flowers helps you celebrate all amazing moms from homemade bouquets, sweet treats, gourmet food, and one-of-a-kind gifts ordered easily and delivered fresh. For a limited time, you can save up to 40% off Mother's Day bestsellers at 1-800-Flowers.com slash Dan. Don't wait. Order today and save up to 40% at 1-800-Flowers.com slash Dan. Welcome into the MMA Hangout. That right there is a legend in our midst. DJ Mighty Mouse, Demetrius Johnson. DJ, first off, a pleasure to have you on, bro. You are an absolute legend, one of the greatest mixed martial artists of all time. You told me you're, you're cleaning the house right now. You're being a great dad. You're watching the stock results for NVIDIA, just trying to figure out where we're at right now. Just You gave me some life advice. You got to invest your money wisely. You know, you're taking care of everything. How do you have time to do everything in your life? Well, I have a great support team behind me. You know, uh, Without my wife, I wouldn't be where I'm at. <clears throat> then I have three children. Obviously, schools take care of them right now. And for me, I try to, you know, time is viable. So I try to make sure I space out my day accordingly based on the day. So I woke up, had breakfast, cooked breakfast with my dad. He just took off to Vegas, took the kids to school, went to the gym, worked out for two hours. Now I'm home cleaning the house for the wife. And we're watching the stock market to see what NVIDIA is going to do. Then we got this and another interview after this. And we get down to the office, start creating more content. They go pick the kids up. So you just got to manage your day. You know, I try to fill my day to be very, very busy. And I've been doing it for a while now. What's the most difficult part of your career? Is it, was it, be, was it getting into the UFC? Was it leaving the UFC now into one? Obviously, you're the flyweight champion for one championship right now. Legend in the UFC. Obviously, 11 title defenses. You and John Jones, I think, are the only ones that have that number. So you've had so many transitions in your life now transitioning to you know, the back end of your career with one and kind of what's looking at in the future. Like what's been the toughest part for you? I would say, honestly, just being busy and staying consistent. I've always worked my whole entire life ever since I was 15 and a half working at, you know, Parker Predators, moving the golf course. And even up to when I fought for my first four title fight in the UFC, I was working full time. So for me, always staying busy is kind of built into my nature. And now, like you said, I'm on the back end of my career where I'm not, competing as often as I was when I was in the prime of my career, like three to two times a year. Now I'm focused on just building content, building my brand as big as, as I can and trying to be present with my kids, my wife, and present in building the content as well. And that's probably the hardest thing is always trying to evolve as not just an athlete or businessman, but as a person. What's been the funnest part of your career? When you look Great. back and be like, damn, this that was it yeah i'll play honestly probably creating career uh, creating career creating content hanging out with other athletes and just traveling with my wife that was probably the, the, the best part and travel with my teammates and the coaches uh that was probably my, my favorite part of the career i mean i love every bit of it and you know I, i'm still you know active you know i would say that was probably it right there just the traveling hanging out with other fighters i mean i don't forget me cody uh no love 
a couple people from uh, MMA Junkie and the UFC uh, brass, as you can call them. Mm-hmm. We were out in Japan getting drunk, and it was it was pretty cool, man. Like that stuff would never happen if I never were competing in the sport. Who's the uh, member of the USC brass that you can talk about that was drinking everybody under the table? Uh, he was drinking anybody under the table. It was Sean Shelby, though. He was out there with us, <laughs> hanging out, getting lit. <laughs> there must be so many great stories of, obviously, that time in the UFC that it was kind of totally different than what it is now, right? Like, you've seen mixed martial arts grow into such a almost mainstay, like, worldwide sport. Now, obviously, Ilya Tupuria just won the featherweight championship, like, opening up an entire new demographic of fans in the European market, in the Spanish market, with Spain, you know, obviously being on top with him. Like, and I want to get to that fight in a second because I want to get your expertise on that. But isn't it crazy how when you got into the game, it was completely different than what it is now? One thousand percent. I mean, you, you, you just look at everything. You know, technology evolves over time. And what I mean by technology, like the technology to be able to stream the fights and have, you know, high quality footage of live fights going on. And I think, you know, with Ili Teporia coming into not just him, but just anybody in mixed martial arts, depending on what organization you're in, you're going to get the best uh, streaming service, as you can say, right? I mean, UFC is on ESPN. You have more championship that's on Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. And these... Uh, broadcasters do an amazing job to broadcast all the fights when they're going on live. So I think when Andy Deporia did what he did against Alex Volkanovski and have all of Europe and Spain behind him watching, I mean, I saw one video, it was on like a, a, a screen of a, of a huge coliseum. So mm-hmm. the technology has come so far where if this was back in the early 1993 when mixed martial arts were started to its infancy stage, it, it wouldn't be the same. Um, looking at that fight, obviously it was a masterclass between Volk and between Ilya. Um, what I was looking at and the people that I've been watching that know their shit, and obviously I'm, I'm very interested to see what you have to say, knowing the most shit out of everybody that I would listen to is like, what they told me is watch their footwork. It was an elite footwork game, a ch- game of chess between Ilya and Volk. Can you speak on like some of the things when you watch fights? how you watch them differently being a fighter yourself. I know you have a ton of breakdowns on either your TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, on all those different things that you kind of break down your own fights. But when you look at elite level guys like that, how is it that you watch it? First off, I watch it by the footwork and how they're gonna cross the void, AKA the distance. And how do they approach uh, the fight? Obviously with Alex Volkanovski taking on Ilya Deporia, it, it was gonna be a battle of you know, Ilya Teporia, once he touches you, you typically go to sleep. And Alex Volkanovsky has outstruck everybody he's fought. All the guys that are talking to Max Holloway, Yair Rodriguez, Brian Ortega, the list just goes on. So you had a guy like Ilya Teporia who likes to wait his weight himself across the void with a beautiful head movement. And when he gets to the right distance, he, he unloads a three to four punch combination boxing style. And when he gets his opponent to the cage, that's when he's most successful. So when I sit back and I watch it, I'm looking at how is he going to cross the void? How is Alex Volkanovski going to keep him away from it? And he likes to use the moon-shaped arc. And that's how I look at it. And that's the stuff I try to bring to my YouTube channel for people who are out there who aren't keen on what they're looking at. Instead of like a lot of people watching, I was like, I just want to see who's going to get knocked out. Right. So I try to break it down to you know my mindset when I'm watching the fights. And a lot of the fans love to see it. Who is the person right now across 
any promotion, right? Whether it be one, whether it be obviously PFL and Bellator together, UFC, who you watch and you go, that guy right there or that girl right there is kind of leagues above everybody else. Ooh, leagues above everybody else. That's that's a hard one to say. I mean, I don't honestly, I haven't thought about that by anybody yet. I think everybody has deficiencies, including myself, that we all can get better at doing. So, I, like I said, I think the last person that I thought where I was like, ooh, this person is good was Ilya Teporia when he fought uh, Josh Emmett. He did a yeah. lot of things uh, good, correct. And now that he just beat Alex Volkanovski, you know, I'll say he's normal, but even even he has deficiencies. We just haven't seen it yet. Um, when you look at the the spectrum of fighters, mm-hmm. right, and you kind of look at your own career, and you're like, "Oh, I see myself in that person," right? Like looking at that younger that younger generation and seeing kind of who's next, who's the next Mighty Mouse, who's the next DJ, who you're like, "Oh, that guy reminds me of me." Ooh, that, that's hard because I felt like in the beginning of my career, I was so – I think there's snippets of me in a lot of people because I felt like I had snippets of a lot of people when I was upcoming in my career, right? And I think, you know, Sugar Sean O'Malley, the way he's able to faint, the way he moves, forces people across the distance. You know, Ili Teporia, how he stops his opponents. Uh, you know, Israel Asanya, how he's so dynamic and athletic. Uh, you know, you, you have, there's so many people out there. So for me, I'm just trying to take snippets of people where I wish I had earlier in my career, um, because we're not, we're not all, um, people are going to be better than me. I was able to put stuff together because of my, my structure, my size, my mentality. And I think a lot of these guys have snippets of me, which I had snippets of earlier fighters like Rampage Jackson, Mm. you know, I've about, he moved. Uh, my pressure style, kind of like Randy Couture. I mean, the list just goes on. Mirko Krokop, how he would throw high kicks. Wow, yeah. So um, for me, it's it's like when I look at the, the younger generation, you know, I always tell people, be better than me. Don't be like me. And I don't see anybody who's like me, which is not a bad thing. Everybody's their own personality and their own style of fighting. You're you're close to Sean. I've seen you do a lot of stuff with Sean uh, on your on your YouTube channel. This this fight with him and Cheeto. Uh, his only loss, mm-hmm. avenging that, got the title, beat Aljo when Aljo was kind of on a tear, obviously. Yep. Um, how do you see Sean kind of his trajectory into superstardom in the sport? Well, I already think he's a superstar. I don't think, regardless of how this fight plays out, I mean, he already lost to Cheeto once and his star kept on growing, even though Cheeto beat him and finished him. So I think the biggest thing that Sean O'Malley has been able to do is create a brand outside of mixed martial arts yeah. with. You know, his, his sugar line, his gaming, his, his YouTube, his podcast. So I think for him, him going out there, if he beats Chito Rivera, which is very possible, I think, you know, his star's going to keep on rising because he's going to continue to do other things that got his star even higher, which is building his brand. What do you talk to me about what you're doing with OnlyFans? I know that obviously you've got you're doing content everywhere i feel like youtube twitter <laughs> twitter like across the board you're doing content everywhere what makes the stuff that you're doing with OnlyFans different than what people see on your regular uh, channels that obviously you pump out a ton of content already yeah it's it's the the, the content i put on OnlyFans is exclusive so if you go through all of my instagram youtube and all that stuff the one thing i do not post about is my diet my recovery and uh like behind the scenes of my competition and training mm-hmm. and archives. And when I got approached by OnlyFans, when I, when me and my producer were searching for a platform to go to host 
our our library of rich content, OnlyFans was the perfect place because it's for the for the true fans who want to see that side of things, right? You have YouTube where YouTube is specific for certain niche where it's like, you know, breakdowns, you know, <clears throat> the mighty cast, the podcast, and all that other stuff. And then you have the Instagram was more family-like and you, you know, your lifestyle a little bit. Then you have the only fans where it's truly for the super fans where it's like, Hey, I'm posting my diet. Right. If I was to post the same content on YouTube, it just wasn't, it wouldn't do it as good because people don't really care about my diet, but the super fans do. And so we have, you know, a lot of content that, you know, we could post on there that is going to be good for the fans who truly want to see behind the scenes of stuff. And that's a, a thing too, where OnlyFans, you can do both. You can do long form content and you also do short form content where a lot of these places you, you can't really do it. And if you do short form, form content, you kind of, you know, ruin the algorithm on, you know, YouTube essentially. Mm -hmm. So I, I, we felt that OnlyFans was the best place to build the house, this type of exclusive content. And we're going to put all the links in the bios below on our YouTube channel, on the, uh, on the podcast and all that stuff. So we'll direct everybody, go check out DJ Mighty Mouse's uh, OnlyFans account. He's going to have a bunch of cool stuff on there. I might be out there too, um, seeing what you're eating, dude, so I can, I can replicate the same <laughs> thing. <laughs> well, it's, it's, it's funny because, you know, I, I was literally just down in uh, California at the Jackson podcast at the Jackson studio. You had Rampage Jackson, Luke Rockhold, you had Bear, you had a lot of the guys. And I took my shirt off. I was like, dude, why do you still have abs right now? You're not in fight camp. I was like, well, I, I live, my, my lifestyle is a clean, healthy lifestyle. And what I eat is very, it's very bland. It's, it's straightforward. But for the super fan who cares about, hey, what does Mr. Johnson eat? That's where I'm going to show it. But if you post a video on YouTube, say, hey, guys, this is what I eat. Da, 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 da. As you know how YouTube works, it's all about the algorithm. It's a niche, it's a niche platform, right? If I would do that, it, no, nobody, we posted some amazing things on YouTube just doesn't do very well. And so that's when, you know, we're like, okay, let, let's find a platform where our fans, my fans who are a fan of the brand of the mighty mighty gaming mighty mouse Demis johnson where they the content can live and breathe and that's where only fans came to mind and that's where we made that merge of bringing the content there the exclusive content i love it man if you're a mighty mouse fan go check out his only fans dude thank you so much you are an absolute legend of the game and it's such a pleasure and an honor to talk to somebody who has done all the things that you've done and in the in the content game just like me and understanding how these things work so thank you so much for hanging out dude really appreciate it hey man appreciate you god bless later man Hey guys, it's Tony. I am very, very, very excited about the NBA playoffs. They have been incredible so far. Taylor, producer on the show, thanks to Game Time, took a 28-hour train ride to a Knicks game. Talking to Taylor, it was an awesome time going to the game, feeling the energy of the garden, and I really want to get out there to watch a game in the garden. And you know how I do it? Of course, the best ticket app on the planet, Game Time. Game Time is an authorized ticket marketplace of the NBA, which makes getting playoff tickets even faster and easier. Prices on the Game Time app actually go down the closer it gets to tip off with killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, which is a technology I love, by the way. Game Time has tons of last minute deals. You can save up to 60% off buying last minute for sports, concerts, comedy, theater. Take the guesswork out of buying NBA tickets with Game Time. Download the Game Time app today. Create an account. Use code DAN, D A N, for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code DAN, D A N, for 20 bucks off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Don Lebatard. Stugatz, if you give him the choice, Stugatz, you can have the very same thing one of two ways. You could get it honestly or you could steal it. 
he'll always choose stealing it. Stugats. Well, it's the quicker path. I mean, it's just, you know. This is the Don Lebatar Show with the Stugats. Welcome to the Hockey Show. My name is Roy Bellamy. David Drock of the Hockey News is to my left. Later today, we have Mark Lazarus of The Athletic to talk about the most concentrational night in recent NHL history. We also have Aaron Brown from the Hockey News to talk about the PWHL. But first, we're going to do a quick Panthers recap. The Panthers lost one nothing to the Carolina Hurricanes last night in what was a playoff atmosphere. Yep. It was back and forth. They played basically in a similar, similar star, styles. And at 16 seconds left in regulation, Oof. Sebastian Ajo ended up scoring on a turnaround wrister that beat Bob. Yep. It was a fun game, right? I, it was interesting because you heard Paul Maurice speaking after Florida's overtime win earlier this week, saying he wasn't particularly happy with how they played against Ottawa, but they got the two points. Yeah. Then you come to this game against Carolina, they lose in regulation, the first regulation loss in the play, or in the the on the road in over two months. Yeah, And he's like, no, I'm happy with how we played. That's a good road game. So it just kind of shows that when the Panthers are playing their style, they're going to win more times than not. And that night, I mean, it was a combination of a great playoffs at, playoff atmosphere type game and great goaltending by Peter Kachetkov of the Carolina Hurricanes. And and Sergey Bobrovsky also played excellent. He made he some great saves, but the posts got in the way of both teams in this one. It was a game of bounces in this. Yeah, well, I mean, you're going to get that when you got two teams that are so good against facing each other, two top Eastern Conference teams, that they're both playing really well. Like, we've talked a lot about how the Panthers have played excellent, excellent hockey over the last two months. Carolina's right behind them. They've only lost like two or three more games than Florida has over that same span. So it was a great matchup. I hope we see it again in the playoffs. It'd be another great conference final if we get that far. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, two good teams. They beat the crap out of each other. And finally, the biggest news out of the game, obviously, is the injuries to Gustav Forsling and Matthew Kachuk. And I really don't know how this is going to affect the team, especially going towards the trade deadline. This this is a big blow. We don't know how long they're going to be out. So I guess we're at a wait-and-see approach here. Potentially could be a big damage just because you've got, obviously, Kachuk. He's been on fire. He's been the NHL's best scorer over the last month, and he plays so many different crucial roles for the Panthers. And then you got Gus Forsling. He's a guy that plays uh, penalty kill. He's a guy that eats up a lot of minutes on the top pairing with Aaron Ekblad. Hopefully neither of them, the injuries are that bad. We'll find out more tomorrow on Saturday when the Panthers have their morning skate before they face the Washington Capitals. But yeah, it's a very flex time right now for the Panthers, and hopefully for their sake that it's uh, neither player is a major injury. Well, March 14th will be the next time the Carolina Hurricanes and Florida Panthers matchup that will be in Carolina last night ended up with some fireworks that that's how the game ended so that game should be a lot of fun but let's switch over to the women's side of the sport we got Aaron Brown of the Hockey News she's going to talk about the professional women's hockey league how did we get here that's probably too long of a story for this short <laughs> amount of time. <laughs> yeah, well. Long and short, uh, there were two leagues. One league bought out the other league, and they started a league from scratch. And that is underway as of January 1st, and it's fantastic. And how has it gone so far? Awesome. Awesome. The, the quality of play is exactly what they have promised, the best players in the world. Um, as far as the, the, the quality, uh, the games are close. They're exciting, high skill level, uh, just incredibly fun to watch. Uh, if you have not watched women's hockey or if the only women's hockey you've been exposed to has been through the Olympics, uh, this this is at that level. So lots of fun. So who would you say would be the best representatives of the sport so far uh, as far as who's more recognizable? 
So you're going to obviously go with your your national team players, and a lot of those players are going to be with the league for at least three years because of the contracts that they've signed. So if we're, we're going off of quick names, um, Marie Philippoulin is uh, f- just phenomenal, and it's actually nice to be able to watch her when she is not wearing a Team Canada jersey. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Um, and not get upset when she scores goals with like 16 seconds left. Um, so that's that's one thing. Uh, Kendall Coyne, Schofield, Hillary Knight, uh, Alex Carpenter, Natalie Spooner, Sarah Nurse, uh, Aaron Ambrose. Uh, trying to think of some of the other ones. They're just a ton of national team players. Pretty much every uh, Canadian and U.S. national team player is in this league. Um, if you're looking for some players that are outside of the country or coming from outside the country, Alina Mueller from Switzerland, Chloe Arard from France. Uh, you've also got, um, oh, geez, off the top of my head, um, a, a number of Czech players, Katerina Morozova, uh, Teresa Vanasova, lots of incredible talent to watch. Awesome. Oh. awesome. Yeah, that's awesome. Sarah Nurse. Yeah, yeah, that's my girl. That. <laughs> so before I dive into the storylines of the season, because there have been some cool ones, I did just want to want to touch on some of the rule differences that the uh, the PWHL has. Because my favorite thing, and we talked about it uh, with a few guys at All-Star, was the jailbreak penalty rule, which I think is so cool. I would love to see something like this kind of maybe get tried out in the AHL or the Panthers, or they tried it in a, maybe in an All-Star game or something. Uh, I think that's really cool. They also have a different point system. So can you walk us through some of the rule differences? Yeah, so so we'll start with the jailbreak goal. Yes. So it, it wasn't called the jailbreak goal initially. We're I think. Calling at the jailbreak I mean, goal. they were, but but it was one of those things that just kind of like took off where they said, yeah, let's let's call this. So the, the gist is basically if goal is scored during a power play, uh, whether it's obviously power play goal, you know, the player comes back on the ice. But the twist here is that if the team that is shorthanded scores uh, on on this uh, penalty kill, uh, it frees the player. That's so there awesome. there have been a couple of them. I think um, at the quarter point, I think I counted there were about three of them. What was interesting is that two of those really changed the course of the game, where the team that uh, was trailing or tied, they scored and ended up, you know, scored that jailbreak goal and ended up winning. So it's, it's interesting right now, I think, because one, you're getting that mentality change where you know you're not playing a super conservative penalty kill so I, I noticed for instance Ottawa was playing a very very aggressive penalty kill where you had almost three players uh, much closer to the points because obviously if they pick off a pass get on a shorthanded breakaway and uh, uh, you know that changes the complexion of the game. So so you can kind of start to see where like just this rule change is starting to shift some strategy. Nice. Um, so that's the first thing. And then, like I said, it's it's also, I think, a mental uh, aspect for the players to, um, you know, be thinking about, hey, it's not just that we're going to have a power play, but we also have to play good oh, yeah. defensively. A whole different strategy. It, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So it, it does make that, um, I don't want to call it a free-for-all, right? Because it's, it's not a total free-for-all during these power play slash penalty kills for whichever team but it's definitely making players think differently play more aggressively and it's and it is very exciting to watch you have six teams in this league so far is there going to be any expansion in the nearby future Uh, I think right now they are just trying to get this league, you know, settled. Uh, right now, uh, six teams. Yes, they are going to have uh, two appearances: one in Pittsburgh, one in. Uh, where was it? Pittsburgh and Detroit. Mm. So I think they're they're kind of I don't want to say testing markets, but we know Pet- Pittsburgh is a good market. We know um, Detroit probably is a good market, considering you know Michigan's got great hockey as well, but the women's hockey, you know, there's no NCAA w- women's team in mm. in Michigan, and so uh, so I think that it's the first step. 
eventually, I imagine there will be. There kind of has to be. I think D.C. would be on that. They've shown uh, incredible support. Um, so I think right now it was finding those markets that uh, they knew they would get uh, good responses out of. Um, other markets just kind of setting a foundation like, you know, New York. Uh, I think they've said like New York was kind of the, going to be the market that they were going to have to work the hardest in. Mm-hmm. But um, all the same, it's a, a major media market, major sports market. So... And these six teams are only named off of their location. <laughs> are they going to have nicknames? Eventually, yeah. Eventually. Right now, you know what? Right now, like the honeymoon is awesome. Like the, the hockey is fantastic. The players are playing at a level that is just pure joy. Like you can tell they are enjoying just coming to the rink and this being their number one job, their number one focus. Um, so, so right now, it's. You know, honestly, I get it. I get the importance of branding. I get, you know, making that identity. But right now, like, enjoy this. You're not going to you're not going to see this forever. So this, you know, this first uh, few, let's say half of the season, maybe maybe full season even uh, it's going to be something special. I don't think we'll see moving forward just because it's so new and unique and just fresh. And and you you see it in the way that the players are playing. So there's a few storylines that are going on this season that have been cool to talk about. Uh, I don't, can't, don't have time to get into them all. Like Kendall Coyne and Natalie Spooner coming back after having kids was really cool. But I did want to ask you about the goaltending just because some of the goaltending numbers in this league are pretty ridiculous. They caught my eye when I was going through them. Why are the goalies so good? Or I guess why are they doing so well? Because we knew that they were good. I, You know what? I think that uh, one of the things is that it really is that there's a like a strong concentration of like elite talent. And there, th- this is something I've been wondering about what's going to happen when you have some of these goaltenders from college or from overseas uh, try to crack the lineups. There just aren't enough teams. And every team carries about three goaltenders. Um, the third is usually the, the backup, you know, in case some one of the first two right. gets injured. I'm familiar with the, th- the third goalie role. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. But but yeah, it's just, <laughs> it's just uh, I think it's just a huge concentration of just the, like, elite of the elite talent mm. um, so I, that's that's uh, pretty much not not all of the teams um, but pretty much everyone I think has someone who starts for a national team and that that right there is a, a key factor but yeah I think there are five players who um, for five goalies I should say who have a goals against under two that's and that's so, that's really impressive that's <laughs> Aaron I'm gonna ask you to stand up and do a little troll and explain We're, the jersey okay so look at that wow she is wearing a well is it a Tony Granado jersey no, or no. Tony Granado jersey I'm just making sure it's, that, it's a very American hockey family I'll give you that but what are we doing here yeah yeah with women's hockey so yeah. it is a 1998 Olympic Jersey, Cami Granado. Yes, I've had this since the first Women's Olympics. The first Women's mm-hmm. Olympics. Yes, Cami uh, Granado is the first woman to uh, have a gold medal draped around her neck at, in Olympic ga- Olympic Games for women's hockey. Yeah, that was that was amazing, amazing tournament. That was cool. Yeah, we so. were just kids when that happened too. We were teenagers. Yeah, yeah. I was skipping my AP chemistry class to watch that game. <laughs> Worked out okay. I'm not doing chemistry these days. Yeah, I'm say, yeah, no, no, yeah, you're busy have, teaching now. The path yeah. has, has worked well for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Where can we watch 
the Professional Women's Hockey League. So, if you are in Canada, I think every single network broadcasts games. I'm not going to get into Canada. You'll find it easily. If you are in a market with a team, so between uh, New York, Boston, and Minnesota, it's going to be your your regional network. So, Nessa and MSG, MS, or mm. MSG. Uh, and then I think Bally's North carries it. Uh, but otherwise, if you are out of market, you can see all the games on YouTube, and the production quality is fantastic. It's yep. not overloaded with ads or board ads mm. <laughs> um, you know it's it just uh, very very high quality um, I've I've I, I kind of get sad when there's not a game at night so yeah YouTube is uh, probably gonna be the place to go for most people just look up the PWHL account and you will find the live streams uh, every day Aaron Brown of the hockey news thank you for braving traffic to get down here and talk <laughs> about women's hockey for women's hockey I will brave traffic anytime Don Lebatard. If I'm at the house with them and they're all rooting, I could just wow. be like, yeah, rah, rah, rah. Go Yankees. Stugatz. Do you know how unsettling it would be if I attended a live sporting event and someone behind me was just going, rah, 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 Browns, rah, Heath, rah, rah, rah. This is the Don Lebatard Show with the Stugatz. April 11th, 2023 was one of the most consequential nights in NHL history because it changed the course of three franchises. It was the night that the Chicago Blackhawks defeated the Pittsburgh Penguins 5-2 and knocked the Penguins out of playoff contention and sent the Florida Panthers barely into the playoffs. We have Mark Lazarus of The Athletic. He covers the Blackhawks. He wrote about this story, and it was really, really an interesting story of good perspective from all three sides. Mark, tell us about the story. Well, it, it, I actually wanted to write this story for opening day because the Blackhawks opened the, the season in Pittsburgh, and I wanted to talk about it then. But, you know, it's hard to get people to talk about a game that happened months earlier and that most people were not happy about the outcome. <laughs> so it took me a little bit of time, but uh, it's really, it, it's just a fascinating thing. And I know people have talked about it before, but like if the Blackhawks don't win that game, a game they had no business winning, the Penguins were, you know, playing with their playoff lives in the line. They had everything to play for. And the Blackhawks were like this patchwork group of AHL guys after they got decimated at the trade deadline on a tanking team. And the Blackhawks went into Pittsburgh and they won that game. Without that, they don't get Connor Bedard because they finished dead last and they had the wrong odds to actually win the draft lottery. <laughs> the Penguins maybe uh, don't fire Ron Hextall and Brian Burke. Maybe Kyle Dubas doesn't leave Toronto to go to Pittsburgh. And the Panthers don't get in the playoffs. They don't make that magical run. They don't get a huge boost in attendance this year. Matthew Kachuk isn't a huge star in this league. Uh, the ripple effect of that game, it, it's, it's just always been fascinating to me. What do you think was the most interesting ripple that came from that game? Because you just kind of described there were so many different elements that came into it. You had a team that probably wouldn't have made the playoffs, go to the Stanley Cup Finals. You had a team that was trying to get the number one pick, got him kind of backdoorish. It just it fascinates me. And then you had the changes that happened in Pittsburgh. So I'm just wondering, did you think there was one maybe above the others? It's just such a cool situation. To me, being based in Chicago and co primarily covering the Blackhawks, the bedard of it all is what's fascinating. Because if the Blackhawks, after that, just egregious, super cynical, kind of gross tank job they did last year. <laughs> if it ends without them getting Bedard, if they get Fantilli or they get Leo Carlson, it's a totally different vibe here in Chicago. Like the franchise is like a disaster, hmm. right? But now that they have Bedard, they're selling out, they're making money, there's jerseys everywhere, there's genuine hope for the future. So I think that maybe Chicago of all teams actually had the most 
uh, the ripple effect here, having having the guy who's going to be one of the biggest names in the sport in one of the biggest cities in a market that you know desperately needed it after losing Kane and Taves, yeah. uh, I, I think that might have the longest term impact. I mean, it's entirely possible that Ron Hextall and Brian Burke get fired regardless, <laughs> even if the Penguins do squeak into the playoffs. I think most people in Pittsburgh will tell you that was probably going to happen. But how many times have we seen a team just like the Panthers sneak into the playoffs and then win a couple of rounds? If they make it to the conference final, they're not firing their front office. Right. So the you know the Kyle Dubas of it all is certainly interesting, but in terms of the grand picture of the NHL, where Connor Bedard landed, he's in Chicago instead of Columbus or Anaheim. I think that's going to wind up being the biggest ripple. You speak of Connor Bedard. Obviously, he got hurt in the game versus the New Jersey Devils on that hit by Brendan Smith. Even with that hit, is he still uh, the rookie of the year? Oh, yeah. I mean, if he stays healthy the rest of the year, uh, with all apologies to my friends in the Twin Cities, Brock <laughs> Faber doesn't stand a chance. It's going to be borderline unanimous. Uh, it, but what, what Bedard is doing with the teammates he has, with the line mates he has, is, is just spectacular. He's basically a point-to-game guy. He's he's creating goals out of thin air, uh, and he's the biggest star on, the, on his team. He's the only star on his team. Yeah. So I, I, I think what he's doing, I mean, I, I'm, I'm always a guy who wants to give credence to a defenseman in these debates because being a young defenseman is harder. And I don't care that Brock Faber's three years older than Connor Bedard. He's legally a rookie. That He's qualified. He'd be a worthy Calder candidate. But assuming Connor Bedard stays healthy, he's going to finish with 25, 30 goals, even with missing six weeks with a broken jaw. Uh, there's, there's no way he doesn't win the Calder. And with the trade deadline coming up, and you mentioned that he is the only star on the team, how will the Blackhawks build around him? I mean, it's going to be a quiet trade deadline here, right? Because they they made so many moves last year where they you know traded Patrick Kane, they traded Jake McCabe, Sam Lafferty. Uh, they they made all these moves and decimated the roster. There's nobody left to trade this year. Yeah. I mean, their biggest trade chips this year are Colin Blackwell and Tyler Johnson, who are you know nice pieces to add for a contending team. Tyler Johnson's won multiple Stanley Cups. Uh, he can fill a role there, bring rings in the room and all that. But you're going to get like a fourth round pick for him at most. So like the 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 teardowns already happened. This is year one of the rebuild in a lot. Lot of ways and you know the hawks had two first round picks last year three picks three first round picks the year before that they got two first round picks this year they got two first round picks the year after that oh my God. so that's where the that's where it's going to all come from within the blackhawks aren't going to spend any money the next two summers they are not going to be a cap team for a while here mm. wow. it sounds like patience is going to need to be a virtue for the fans in chicago for at least a little while right Oh, no question. And it's like, and it's hard, right? Because like, you know, I know nobody in the rest of the hockey world feels bad for Chicago. They won three Stanley Cups in the cap era, but that this is year one of the rebuild is tough to swallow because they've been bad now for four or five years, right? They were kind of walking in the wilderness, trying to piece together a competitive lineup and finishing in like 10th, 11th place. You know, that horrible mushy middle where you, you're not bad enough to get good and you're not good enough to make the playoffs. Um, yeah, we're so, familiar with that down here. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right. <laughs> you know, and you know, you look at somewhere like Buffalo, Ottawa, Detroit. This is a long-term thing. I mean, Buffalo's been doing this. It feels like since like the 1970s, and the Detroit's in like year seven of the Iser plan, and they're trying to scratch and claw their way into the playoffs. They just became like a team that added last summer, and they were still trading for. They traded Philip Peronic for a first-round pick last year at the trade deadline, a 24-year-old defenseman. So this is a excruciatingly long process. And Kyle Davidson, the general manager here, he has that kind of leash. The the ownership of the team, Danny Wirtz, he understands, and this is going to be a long and painful painful process and having Connor Bedard makes it so much easier for fans to swallow because if you didn't have him 
it'd be a disaster right now. So switching gears for a second, I want to ask about something else that you wrote about recently, and it's Steve Larmer. Uh, mm. His number is not retired in Chicago. I'll be honest, I wasn't super familiar with the details of his career before I read your story. I knew he was a very good player in Chicago that put up some big numbers. But holy shit, when I looked up his stats <laughs> year over year, I could not believe. Like, how is this guy not in the conversation of why isn't he in the Hall of Fame yet, let alone his number being retired in Chicago? So I completely agree with you. Is this going to happen sometime soon? Because based off of what I'm seeing, it needs to. Well, it's funny, you know, we uh, at The Athletic, we do the Shadow Hall of Fame Committee where Eric Duhacek, who's been in that room, kind of leads 15 of us as if we were voting for the Hall of Fame. And two straight years, I, uh, I, I, I nominated Larmer. Um, uh, and he got zero votes every time <laughs> I nominated. So it's not going to happen. He's not going to make the Hall of Fame. He's just not. He's he's that Hall of Very Good. Maybe his career wasn't long enough. You know, maybe he was overshadowed a little bit by playing with Dennis Savard and Jeremy Roenick a little bit. Uh, I, I I got to know Steve Larmer through like the EA Sports video games in the 90s, right? He was unbelievable yeah. on NHL 94. So like that's why <laughs> that's how I kind of felt got to, got to know him. But it really is something. And and. As for the jersey retirement, it's interesting because the Blackhawks for years were just notoriously stingy with their jersey retirements. But last year, when they when they raised Marion Hosa's number eighty one to the rafters, now this is not a be, trying to besmirch the good name of Marion Hosa, maybe one of my favorite players I've ever watched play hockey. But his best years offensively came in other markets. They came in Ottawa and Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, he was only in Chicago for nine years, a small portion of his career. So once they decided to put Hosa up there, how do you not put Steve Larmer up there? How do you not put Doug Wilson? They're putting Chris Chelios up on Sunday. Finally. If you're going to put yeah. if you, and yeah, but he was here for 9 years. That's it. Most I, of his career was elsewhere too. Wow. So, you know, he won two Norris trophies here. He's certainly worthy of it. He's a Chicago guy. Everybody loves Chris Chelios. Wow. But if you're going to put guys like Hosa and Lar- and and uh and Chelios up there, how do you not put Larmer? How do you not put Brent Seabrook? How do you not put Corey Crawford? Like it just opens the door so wide for so many guys that have been waiting for this chance because the Hawks have been so stingy. I yeah, that's you bring up them being stingy. I don't understand why Chris Chelios is waiting until now to get his number retired. <laughs> is it because he went to Detroit? That's part of it. I mean, Chris uh. Chelios was kind of persona non grata around here because oh. uh, he, he went to Detroit and won a couple of Stanley Cups out there. Uh, it, it, that's why it's going to be, you know, Patrick Kane's coming back on Sunday. I don't expect it to be similar. I think Kane's going to get showered with love here on Sunday. But mm-hmm. uh, there was some bitterness to Chelios for, for even though, you know, he didn't trade himself. They traded him. Well, you have a list of the best and the worst outdoor game jerseys. Now, these <laughs> jerseys, I mean, they haven't really been the best but, <laughs> I mean, the Blackhawks have had pretty good jerseys, in my opinion. I don't think Detroit's outdoor game jersey was great. I mean, the big gothic D. As I like a, the 09 one. Uh, I mean, well, like the, the Hawks have I had just, so many of them over the years. Some of them are just like, they're just like variations on a theme. They're pretty boring. I love their black and white ones from the, uh, oh, I got, I got to cover so many outdoor games. The, 20, the 2019 Winter Classic, the Notre Dame game, mm-hmm. they went black and white. And then every time they would wear them at the United Center, they would make a, all the scoreboards would go black and white. And it nice. created this really kind of cool uh, cool vibe in the arena. So I always like those. Well, you have more on your list. What, what are the best outdoor game jerseys? And then we'll get to the worst. Oh, God, off the top of my head, I got to go back and look at what I wrote. Um, I love the the Krakens this year, yep. the ones that kind of nod to the old Seattle uh, Metropolitans. Yeah, that uh, cool. that, I think we all come back to the, the the original Winter Classic, right? That Penguins game against Buffalo outdoors in the snow. Crosby scores the winner in the nah, shootout. Those nah, baby blue oh, nah, don't, Penguins jerseys. Don't talk about Crosby. Don't talk about Crosby. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, that brings me back to the Blackhawks win last year and how happy that made me, just based on the fact that we don't have to see Sidney Crosby in the playoffs, and, yeah. and now we won't have to see him again I, this year. I th- 
I thought we came. I thought the hockey world came back around on Sidney Crosby. Like everyone loved him when he came up, and then there was the backlash, and then he was whiny and crybaby Crosby. Now we all realize that he's literally like the third or fourth best player in the history of hockey. No, and everybody loves him. Crybaby. <laughs> that has not reached the hockey show. That no. that opinion has not made it here yet. No, I, 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 I feel like. I have a friend who's got like a, who's got like a, a kid who plays hockey, and when he was like eight years old, he hated Sidney Crosby. And I convinced him that no, Sidney Crosby is actually really good, and he's a great guy. He's like a model citizen. He does all kinds of work in the community without people knowing it. He talks to the media every day. He's like the he's like the model hockey player. And I actually the kid he turned around so hard he actually asked for a Crosby jersey for Christmas. Oh, wow. <laughs> well, my beef is on ice. It's not off ice. I know how <laughs> charitable and what he does for the community. So yeah, it's definitely on ice. Uh, over the years, and the fact that the league shoved him down on collective throats. Well, that's like, I mean, I, I I live and work in Chicago. I walk by the Michael Jordan statue every day. I hate him more than I've hated any human in my life, because I grew up a Knicks fan. Oh. He, just, he ruined my childhood year after year, so I, I understand that. I get it. All right, so going now, uh, kind of sticking with this theme with the outdoor jerseys, we just found out that the Blackhawks are going to be in yet another outdoor game next Shocking, year. isn't it? I was Hopefully yeah, I was we'll surprised. be there. So next year's Winter Classic at Wrigley Field. I was actually at the first one at Wrigley Field in like 2009, which was really cool. I was there as a fan. We're hoping to get up there again this year. But I I don't know, as a guy who's covered the Blackhawks so much, this wasn't the question I was going to ask originally, but you kind of brought it out of me. Is there overkill at this point? Like, what's the deal with the Blackhawks being in it every year? Your perspective of it obviously is a little bit different, but is it time for maybe other teams to get in there? Or is this the deserved thing and we need to just get used to it? I mean, of course, it's time for other teams. And I, thankfully, the Hawks haven't had one since, I think, that 19 one against Boston at Notre Dame. Um, then they were they were getting an outdoor game every year, basically, during the, the height of their dominance. And it's because they were a TV ratings powerhouse, right? Um, I would like to see, personally, like... The Winter Classic doesn't do good ratings. It just it's not it's not a big deal on TV. It doesn't look good on TV. The most recent one with the Kraken uh, and and the Golden Knights just it was like, I think it was the lowest rated one of all time. Ugh. What makes the Winter Classic great is being at the Winter Classic or the Stadium Series. Like yeah. it's fun to go to these games. Like I'm I'm pretty cynical about them having covering. I've covered six or seven by now, but I'm always like, oh god, I got another cover, cover another outdoor game. But then you get there and you're like, ah, oh, this is kind of cool. I'm uh, you know this is fun. <laughs> it, it, it's kind of like the All Star Game. It's 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 a local event it's not really a league-wide event an outdoor game it's for the local community and like when you have one at nc state hurricanes fans are loving it when you have one at the university of minnesota wild fans are loving it it's really cool when you're there i feel like the league should stop worrying about the tv ratings and start just putting more teams in these you know there's like the Columbus is finally getting one next year. It's going to be a stadium series game against Michigan. And I'm sure we'll have the uh, Ohio State-Michigan vibe for, for everything. But it, we need to get more teams involved because it's really fun for the local fan base. And that's what you got to worry about. If you want better TV ratings, give me more Lake Tahoe games. Hmm. That looked awesome on TV. That the COVID cool. year where they couldn't have fans. Put, put a game on the D.C. Mall. Put a game in Central Park in New York. Put a game on Grant Park uh, on, on Lake Michigan here in Chicago. Uh, put a game at Lake Louise. Like there's a million places you could do that that would look awesome on TV and would get people's eyeballs and would catch their attention, right? Yeah. So do that because you're going up against the the college football playoffs now. You're not going to win that battle if you if you insist on having these games on New Year's Day. Uh, and w- frankly, I think they should be on Christmas Day. Go compete against one NBA game would be a lot easier. You'd have to negotiate that into the CBA, but that's yeah. the day to do it. But it, it, stop worrying about the ratings and just make the event really cool. And that's how you're going to make hockey cool again. Hopefully we'll get a Lightning and Panthers with a classic uh, 
I doubt it, but hopefully we'll get that. It right. would do terrible TV ratings, and it would be awesome in Florida. Yeah, it would go nuts. We'll be all right. That's what matters. Mark Lazarus at the Athletic. Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.